Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is where you're at. This is Plot Twist, Please. I'm Shamaya. It's like papaya, except it's not. So today we're going to talk about ableism. First of all, before we do that, pause. How are y'all doing? How are you breathing? How are you eating? How are you sleeping? What's been going on? What have you been watching? Um, I'm really excited because I am <laughs> watching a, with a friend. I'm watching the Netflix series with Sarah Paulson, Ratchet. I'm really excited because I've heard really good things, so I'm ready to just like jump into that. But I'm also excited to be here talking to you all right now. So, ableism. Since we voted on it, this is what we're going to chat about today. If you're not aware, ableism is discrimination based on someone's abilities or disabilities. And these can be very visible disabilities or they can be invisible disabilities, which is harder to discern whether or not someone's being discriminated against, still is detectable in some ways. So there is overt kinds of ableism and there's also subconscious internalized ableism that manifests itself interpersonally or within our own self-image if you're a disabled person. And I do say disabled person because it really varies depending on the person, depending on the individual, whether or not they favor being called a disabled, a disabled person versus a person who is disabled or a person with a disability. So that's why I phrase it that way. Just something for your brain cells. So basically, we all are inherently ableist and the world is ableist with the belief that people with certain abilities are superior because the world wasn't set up for people with disabilities. Knowing that, we need to do some digging to see how that manifests itself in our daily lives and in other people's lives and how we can combat that as individuals and as people who are part of larger institutions and systems. So at its core, ableism is rooted in the belief that people who are disabled need fixing, which goes against what you hear a lot of disabled people saying in a lot of the disabled community, where there's not this idea of we need to fix ourselves. It's more that the world needs to alter itself in order to accommodate us because there's nothing wrong with us. If you're a disabled person, there's nothing wrong with you. It's that the world wasn't set up to accommodate you, and so it needs to take a look at itself. And I think that's a healthy approach. So like racism and sexism, ableism puts people in categories and discriminates based on stereotypes. It's either a stereotype that is a generalization such as, oh, this person can't handle being in this kind of work environment because they're too fragile. Or even, I don't feel comfortable having this person in my work environment because I feel like I would have to accommodate them, accommodate them, or I feel like I would have to walk in eggshells. Whereas that has nothing to do with them and more to do with the person's preconceived notions about them. And I do think it's worth noting that there are certain jobs that ableism, I don't think you can put that label on it. So like, like say you want to work for Amazon to deliver packages for Amazon. Someone who is in a wheelchair can't do that job. That's not ableism because that job requires certain abilities. So it's an important distinction to make, but I do think a lot of people and a lot of institutions get away with covert ableism. And someone who I follow on Facebook she is a woman of color who is an actress and also uses a wheelchair oftentimes to get around or when her when the rest of her body is tired, she needs a wheelchair. Uh, she made a point that I think is super important. She was saying how there are a lot of job descriptions that seem like they would require a fully able-bodied person, but 
What this pandemic has shown is that a lot of people can work from home and a lot of those businesses that seem like they can't make those kinds of accommodations actually can because they just did. So if if a business is saying, oh, we can't hire these people because we can't make those accommodations, clearly you can make those kinds of accommodations if you want to. So that's just kind of telling. And I, I just wanted to give her a shout out for that because that even revealed covert ableism for me, because I, I hadn't been aware to that degree of how prevalent it was throughout, specifically throughout corporate culture and just all over in general, even in seemingly liberal spaces and places where social justice is at the forefront. A lot of the time, what people miss is ableism. You know, we, we put a check mark by racism, by sexism, homophobia, etc. But when it comes to ableism, a lot of people have blind spots there. So ableism can take a lot of different forms. Some of those including lack of compliance with disability laws, such as the ADA, the use of restraint or seclusion as a means of controlling students. I work with toddlers, and it's so interesting how not difficult it is to make certain accommodations and to really stretch your mind to understand, oh, this person does not operate the same way that I do, so I need to try to connect the dots here for them. That's not hard to do. It's just that a lot of people aren't willing, especially educators. That's just a testament to how how many layers ableism shows up in, just how many areas in life it shows up in, in education, in the business world, in the arts even. It's truly astounding once you really think about how many ways the world is set up for able-bodied people and for no one else. And I should also say that not only is it set up for able-bodied people, but it's set up for people who are neurotypical and who don't have any mental disabilities because those exist. Those are the invisible disabilities that we don't consider oftentimes, especially as it pertains to high-stress situations. Um, And a time like right now where everything's really nuts, there are people who have certain limitations that aren't accommodated or aren't accounted for in the workplace, in education, etc. And they're just things we need to consider at every level. So other forms of ableism exist in not making proper accommodations in the design of a space. So that's within theaters. God, there are so many theater spaces, especially the older, more established theater buildings that do not accommodate disabled people and, you know, designs and corporate spaces that don't make up for that. Building inaccessible websites, also the eugenics movement of the 1900s and Nazi Germany. So from from the spectrum of Nazi Germany to elevator signs, ableism is everywhere. And there are also subconscious forms of ableism. So first I'm going to talk about overt ableism. So right off the bat, I want to just get out of the way. Making fun of someone with a disability, mental or physical, is just wrong. And I say that in a loving way, but I say that in a stern way. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So overt ableism also exists in the form of assuming that people with mental disabilities can function as restless machines. So this is really prevalent in a capitalist society, which is the one that we live in. (laughs) Gotta love it. Hey, capitalism, how you doing, girl? Capitalism is not our friend in terms of how much it corrupts our way of thinking about humans. And look, 
I'm not trying to convert y'all. I'm not trying to make the people in corporate America become socialists. Like, that's just not what I'm here for. I'm just here to make you aware that under a system of capitalism, under a system rooted in capitalism and that feeds into a capitalist system, there is still going to be sexism. There's going to be racism, etc. There's going to be ableism. All of it. Because capitalism cannot stand without all of those in their proper place, quote, quote, in the place they were designed to be. Capitalism relies on this kinds of discrimination to be the monster machine that it is, to emphasize productivity. I minored in business in college and I had to take... I should take up economics a few times. But one thing that stuck with me, the idea that people are capital, the way that economists look at it and the way that most business people look at it, people are capital. And so if you're operating under a system where people are capital, what do you think that does for the disabled person? It's not great for them. (laughs) If we're treating people as capital, meaning people are part of a machine, right? If one person is out of place, if one person doesn't operate as intended, the entire machine can suffer. So this kind of system, as it pertains to individuals being valued as individuals and being seen in terms of their unique needs, within a structure like this is not sustainable. This as it is, is not sustainable. So if you hear me being like anti-capitalism on this <laughs> on this podcast frequently, this is why, because capitalism is low-key trash. It's low-key trash because it depends on people being treated as capital and it depends on every screw being tight. And if one screw is not tight, then either that screw needs to be whipped into shape or that screw needs to be replaced. And if people are replaceable, especially people who who need more resources than the average person, who do you think is more likely to get the job in a hiring process? The person who's more likely to be removed because they need more accommodations? Or the person who can just be a good screw and do the job? So that being said, that is a form of overt ableism. Now, I'm gonna mosey on over to chatting about covert ableism or subconscious ableism. Now, I'm going to speak from personal experience. If you follow my channel, my podcast, and you know that I identify as an autistic person, autism is a disability. I, for a long time, was like, I'm not disabled, categorically, I am. And so the things that I've seen as a person who did not know that she had autism until later in life are just now kind of registering with me as Oh, they thought I couldn't handle basic daily tasks. Got it. And that's the thing is, is it might be well-intended, but as well-intended as it is, it can be patronizing and it can also actually hinder a person from meeting their potential. It can actually feed into this whole babying thing. Not saying that they have to pull themselves up by the bootstraps or anything of that nature. It's just that if you treat a grown adult like a child then they're going to view themselves as a child and that's not helpful for them. They're going to feel that. So this is why it's subconscious because a lot of the time we don't know that we're doing it. I don't know that I'm doing it at times and it might be well-meaning, but at the end of the day, is it really helping? And the answer is no, it's not. So I just thought I'd go over some of the things that 
fit under that umbrella. <laughs> and you might be surprised at the things that you have done or you've seen people do in this category. So one of those things, and this is not in the well-meaning vein, this is more just like preconceived notions, but the first thing I'd like to address is people who are fat being depicted as lazy or being where like, just because someone's fat doesn't mean they're lazy. But that's, again, that's a stereotype that, and so, so that's one example. And another example is, and I see this all the time on social media, is when a disabled person or rather I see this more often than not with mental disabilities. Maybe someone is autistic or is nonverbal or they're deaf. And I see a lot of the time people treating daily tasks, like average tasks, and that like may not be incredible, but it's like it's not even that deep. Seeing people being like, oh, like, oh, congratulate, like, you did that thing, that's so cool, like, oh my gosh, you're such an inspiration, you're so cool. It's like, that, I mean, it's great to celebrate people, yes, and it's especially great to celebrate people when it's warranted, amazing, but there's also a balance between celebrating people and being, (laughs) frankly, like, weirdly patronizing for people doing things that to them are no big deal. I talked about this a little bit um, in my last episode with my friend Hagai, where we were talking about the Netflix show Love on the Spectrum. And an underlying thing that I saw there, as well as throughout a lot of media when it comes to autism or, you know, mental disabilities in general, I see a lot of undercurrents of infantilization, which is basically treating someone who's a grown, grown adult as if they are a child. And that's harmful because I would say it's not as harmful as, you know, abusing them. Um, It's not as harmful as making fun of them, but it is still harmful. And it still paints this stereotype of people with mental and physical disabilities being helpless when they're not helpless just because they operate differently than somebody than the average person or just because they operate differently than you doesn't mean that they're helpless and it doesn't mean that they're less than you. And if they do something that's basic, you don't need to make a big deal out of it. You you don't need to act like it's, it's this huge extravagant thing when they're really just trying to live their lives. Like, like that's the thing too is disabled people are not here to make you feel good about yourself. And they're definitely not here to, get your approval. They're just not. Um, And so although I see where that might come from and it might be well-intended, they're not here for you. (laughs) They're not here for you to, to fix them or for you to make them feel worthy. They are worthy all by themselves. And, 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 and that's only when it's like faux celebration. Cause I understand when there's real celebration of someone, like if someone's done something really incredible and you're like, wow, I really admire you or someone's incredibly brave then that's definitely warranted. But when it's like this faux celebration and you know that what they've done to you doesn't warrant celebration or any any kind of accolades, but you treat it as if you think it's amazing, that's weird. Like, (laughs) it's weird when you act like something is a big deal when you know to you it's not a big deal. Because then you're just putting on a show and then that means you're, you're playing into this idea that people who are disabled need you specifically to make them feel worthy to make them feel valued they already have value so 
that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I hope I didn't make that too confusing. It's it's an icky, weird balance, but it's it's more of a guttural feeling, and you can tell the difference. You just can. Also, <laughs> I really shouldn't have to say this, but there are people who parade disabled people on social media and just in pop culture because they want to seem like good people to the rest of the world. And that's using them as props. That's using disabled people as your prop. That's using the disabled community as your prop. And is pretty gross. <laughs> it's pretty gross. Like, um, I see on my feed all the time these memes about autism moms who are like, I am so dedicated to my child, I even made room for their autism. Like, you mean the thing you should be doing anyway? Like, you mean taking care of your child? The way your child exists in the world? You mean that? You mean being a good parent? Like, <laughs> like that's not an amazing thing to pat yourself on the back for. Like, you're doing what you should do. Like, if your child has a mental or physical disability, you should be taking them to those doctor's appointments. You should be filling those prescriptions. You should be having certain conversations with them. And, and, and you should be going with them to, you know, get handicap stickers and all of those sorts of things. It's part of your job description, frankly. And that's the thing, too, is I feel like in a lot of ways, even with racism and sexism and just a lot of other things, it's like we treat the bare minimum as if it's amazing like if someone treats you like a human being we're like oh you just you deserve a trophy you are the savior it's like no like you should be treating people like human beings anyway like you you just should like if you go on a date with a woman as a straight man and you don't rape her you shouldn't get an award like this is the standard. Like, this is this is the bare minimum. I should rephrase that. This is not the standard. This is the bare minimum. So can we stop treating bare minimums like they're standards? And again, I don't mean to discourage anyone because I, I do grapple with the idea of, with the decision to critique someone's activism or to critique the ways that someone shows empathy, um, and how that might play out in terms of discouraging someone from doing that going forward in in any way, shape, or form. I do grapple with that sometimes, and I do consider that. But at the same time, if you are being empathetic or making space for someone who identifies a certain way that is different than you identify, if you are doing that only to get patted on the back, then that's why you're doing it. If you're not doing it so that you can do it the right way so that someone can critique you and say, hey, maybe tweak this a little bit, then what are you doing? Like, like, what are you doing? We want people to actually show up, not to look like they're showing up for their own personal gain, right? So I do like to, I do go back and forth with that a lot, like a lot. As a black woman, a lot. As a, as a black disabled woman, like in terms of the spectrum, I'm on the quote high functioning end on the spectrum, which is a gross term, but it, it is what it is. Um, but still I fall in that category and I definitely have experienced ableism on the interpersonal level. And that's why I say that patronization is dangerous because we, you know, a disabled person can internalize that stuff and often does. So interpersonal ableism, which kind of falls under the umbrella of subconscious or 
covert ableism can manifest itself in a lot of ways as well. Choosing a venue for an event. Nowadays, we aren't choosing many venues. The venues are our houses. Those are the venues. But, um, or like our front porch. I mean, back in the time, back way back in 2020 BC, before COVID, where people were actually leaving their homes and going places. I mean, odds are people weren't thinking about ableism when choosing a venue like that's just not a thing people think about well it's not something I think about um and I feel like the average person doesn't think about because they don't have to um but I just think that that's an area we could all do better at when we are allowed to have you know to populate venues that don't have our couches and our refrigerators in them but so that's one area and I also feel like assuming that people who are disabled are only people who have visible disabilities. I think that's frankly pretty, like, I hate to say ignorant because it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's associated with shame. I don't mean to shame anyone because I don't think shame is helpful to anyone ever. But it is ignorant. There's, you know, there's bipolar disorder. There's autism. There's, I believe, schizophrenia is in there too. There's so much. There's, there's so many different kinds of mental disabilities. Um, dyslexia is one of them. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean that the person doesn't have it. doesn't mean that the person doesn't suffer in ways that you don't know. Also, there's this thing where people would question that someone is actually disabled or, you know, whether they're actually disabled or they just are saying that they're disabled to get attention or to get sympathy. Or it's like, okay, I'm sure there's some percentage of people on the internet who aren't actually disabled or who are just doing things for branding or for, I don't know, like, for whatever crazy reasons people do crazy things. But I don't see the benefit of saying that you're something, identifying in a, in a certain way, that is stigmatized. I don't see the benefit where you're saying, hey, I identify as this thing that people tend to demonize in television, in movies, and people think that you're a serial killer because you have a mental disorder, or people, you know, assume that you're helpless, or people assume that you're lazy, or people assume that you're dumb. Like, I don't know many people who identify as such when there's so much stigma about that identity. I just don't see that. I don't, I just don't know why people, I don't think people would do that generally. There are also ableist microaggressions that I think people use in daily colloquial speech. And so I'm just going to address those. I'm just going to read this little list of them. Like that's so lame or using the R word. I don't know why people still use that. I just thought that was ancient history. I thought we, I thought we'd grown I thought we grown saying that somebody's crazy. And here's the thing is I feel like this is used so often this phrase. Oh, they're crazy because they think differently than I do. Or because how could someone who thinks this way be sane? First of all, saying that someone is crazy, not only stigmatizes mental disorders, but it also takes away individual choice. And it takes away accountability from someone who might not have a mental disability and is just someone who grew up a certain way or someone who grew up in a certain community and was never faced with other kinds of evidence. So not only does it put them off the hook, but it also contributes to the stigmatization of mental health issues and of mental disorders, which basically, in conclusion, helps 
zero personas. It helps zero people. Also, phrases like, it's like it's falling on deaf ears, or it's like the blind leading the blind. Seemingly harmless phrases, but if we said them around an actual blind or deaf person, here's the thing, we probably wouldn't. (laughs) If you're saying these phrases, I think something that's helpful to think about is, would I say this around an actual blind person? Would I say this around an actual deaf person? Would I say, would I say, oh, I'm super OCD about organization around a person who actually has OCD? You know, I think these are important questions to ask ourselves doing the self-work that's required to help create a more empathetic world. So I just want to leave you with that. I hope you liked this episode. Please like, subscribe, show your friends, show your pals, show your foes. Have a good rest of your day. Stay weird and just stay weird. Nope, just stay weird. <laughs>